favorite memories is a friend of mine who was obsessed with beer because he presented it to me in a way that I've never experienced before because he did it as pairing like you do with wine. But something I never thought of, which he said was key to the whole experience, it wasn't the beer and the food itself that you had to focus on. He said you had to make sure to have water to cleanse the palate between every tasting. Otherwise the flavors mix together and they just kind of get jumbled into one. Just like with sermon series, to where once they go end to end, they can jumble into each other and the stories kind of balance and echo and they don't give us those moments of refreshment. So in this series or this one-off, we are doing a palate cleanse. We're changing the topic where we get to go into slow cooker spirituality and operate from the same head, heart, and hand questions we do in each conversation. But in this one, we've, ha we've asked people to sit with one passage for a week and to pull their reflections, their insights out of it. So I'm excited to hear from the women who are going to be speaking into this one so that we can sit with their stories and with their wisdom to be able to further the conversation. And in this, have our palates cleanse from the last series to the next so that we can intentionally embrace these moments. Before we start, let's read the passage that we'll be moving from today. 1 John 4, 11 to 21. Beloved, if that's how God loved us, we ought to love one another in the same way. Nobody has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us, and his love is completed in us. That is how we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us a portion of his spirit. And we have seen and bear witness that the Father has sent his Son to be the world's Savior, Anyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son, God abides in them and they abide in God. And we have known and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. Those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. This is what makes love complete for us, so that we may have boldness and confidence on the day of judgment. Because just as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Complete love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and anyone who is afraid has not been completed in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates their brother or sister, that person is a liar. Someone who does not love a brother or sister whom they have seen, how can they love God whom they haven't seen? This is the command we have from him. Anyone who loves God should love their brother or sister too. How can I think about this passage in 1 John 4 as an immersive invitation into the story of Jesus? Well, let's start where John does. Dear friends, dear beloved, this is such a personal letter written from a pastor who is passionate about his people and he wants them to understand what they've been given, understand the love of God. And he wants them to understand that it is indisputable. So he throws that very intentional word in there, since 
And because that's there, there's no condition attached. God's activity in Christ has given us indisputable evidence of the Father's love. This is what stands out to me in this passage, this Father's love, and we see it played out as we continue reading. And we see that God's love is the basis for Christian love, and it is not the other way around. The way we love does not define God. We don't have our own kind of love that draws people to God. The only way that we can love in any regard and in the first place is because of his love for us. The conflict that comes to me when the, I read these words is my own human depravity. I don't choose love all the time. And in fact, sometimes I choose the opposite on purpose. So does that mean that I don't love God? What happens then when I don't love? How do I love someone who is unlovely? Can I love purely out of obedience to God's word? Regardless of how I feel? These are the questions that come to mind as I read this passage. The other thing that strikes me is this idea of confidence. And I feel like it really depends on who you who raised you and where you were raised. How we read the word confidence is going to be so different. Even if we grew up, you know, in the western hemisphere, the eastern hemisphere of the world, the reality of what confidence is is so different. But the confidence that John is talking about doesn't seem to have anything to do with what we can take pride in of this world. It has nothing to do with this world. It has everything to do with being confident of the day that we will meet God. What kind of love gives us confidence for that? Only the perfect love of God that casts out all fear. What kind of love is that? I love the idea that this is a deeply personal pastoral letter and that John doesn't use fear as a pastoral strategy. John doesn't use fear as a pastoral strategy. He reminds his people that they are deeply and unconditionally and indisputably loved by God. And because of that, and because of the work of the Holy Spirit in them, in us, we are able, we are called to love one another as Christ loves us. What I know from this passage is that God's love is perfected not through my own emotion or my own perception or even my personal experience. Through the expression of what he has given us first, all of the love that we have to give comes from 
him through Jesus. And if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, love demands our minds as well as our hearts. We have to be aware of what and who we are believing and how that is shaping our expressions of God's love. The only way I can love somebody else, anybody else, love one another, is because God loved me first. And I have to receive that. And thank God, in no disrespectful terms, but in pure reverence, thank you, God, that his love, that your love is indisputable. And there are no conditions attached. Have you ever gotten a piece of mail that has the big scary red stamp on it that says action required. If you're anything like me, it's going in a drawer never to be opened <laughs> because once I open it, I have to do something. Can't say I didn't know or I didn't read it, I didn't get it. I have to do something. Well, <laughs> this is what this verse is like to us and to me. Let's read it. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and their love is made complete in us. Are you sure? This is on us now, somehow? This sounds really heavy. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And their love is made complete in us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of always thought that uh, God was complete already. Like, why do they need me again? <laughs> I feel a little sweaty, you know, like those nightmares where you have to go on stage and they're like, you're late, it's your turn. And I'm like, I haven't read the script. Well, yeah, I feel like that too. Because this scripture puts the ownness and the spotlight on you. It's saying you can no longer hide in the background. You are going to the front of the stage and not only that, but you are acting on behalf of God. Easy. Easy, right? And um, and also, not only that, you are uh, not just a, a puppet mimicrying words that we had no participation in writing, but no, God the playwright set the stage, set the rules of your character, and now the stage is yours. There is no script. There's just yes, and, and, that empty space of and can be really scary because now we can't just speak the part, we have to be the part. Wow. And this is all taking place through the ways that we love one another. And 
that's amazing. That love is how the world gets to know God. This, you may be familiar with this uh, little ism. You might be the only Bible someone ever reads, and the only Jesus someone ever sees. How are we doing on that? I don't know about you, but I feel like if I were the only Bible, the only Jesus someone ever saw, they'd be like, eh, pass. I can do better. And that's, but that's the beautiful part about this community and the ways that we can challenge ourselves. Because we, each of us, are empowered to bring value to the world through love. Isn't that beautiful? It's a, it's a little scary too, it's a little bit of that letter, you know, that I mentioned before. But it's also beautiful because as the church, we are supposed to show up in the world. Not just taking space, but adding value. And it's, it's amazing to me because the ways that we see God in the world um, aren't, like, a lot. Like, obviously, uh, there's, like, beauty and all those things. But, you know, like, Jesus, Jesus, he, God showed himself in Jesus. And um, God shows himself in the Holy Spirit through, through the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And, like, a lot of the ways that God shows up in the world is through you and through me. He has given us a part to play, and it's not a small one. It's actually one that is pretty big. And it's not so that we can say, I'm a big part of the world, look at me, I'm the star. But it's, there is a responsibility on you and I to show, and it matters how we show up in the world. And I just want to leave you off with this. You are God's hands. You are God's heart. You are God's love. How you show up matters because you are a representative of God in the world. And I think it all kind of sums up in that great quote from the Dead Poets Society. The, the great play goes on and to it you may contribute a verse. So what verse are you going to contribute? When we read this passage of 1 John, there's an obvious rule. Love others. This is a direct message, and it even comes with the definition of what it means to love. When we add this to the context of how 1 Corinthians defines love, this message is very clear. But it also uses the idea of brothers and sisters to mean those in the body of Christ. But when we talk about seeing God, he shows up in the gift that he has given us, the gift of love. I'd like to bring in a brief portion of the story behind the organization To Write Love on Her Arms, a nonprofit for suicide prevention. This story began when a small group of friends decided to help a young woman who struggled with depression, drug abuse, and suicidal thoughts before she entered rehab. I'd also like to add a content warning for profanity and self-harm that I decided not to remove to stay true to the story. She cuts herself, using the blade to right fuck up, large across her arms. 
The nurse at the treatment center finds the wound several hours later. The center has no detox, names her too great a risk, and decides not to accept her. For the next five days, she is ours to love. It is unspoken, and there are only a few of us, but we will be her church, the body of Christ coming alive to meet her needs, to write love on her arms. Love is something better. I have been challenged and changed, reminded that love is the simple answer to all of our hardest questions. Don Miller says, we are called to hold our hands against the wounds of a broken world, to stop the bleeding. We are only asked to love, to offer hope to the many hopeless. We don't get to choose all the endings, but we are asked to play the rescuers. We won't solve all mysteries, and our hearts will certainly break in such a vulnerable life, but it is the best way. We were made to be lovers, bold in a broken world, pouring ourselves out again and again until we are called home. This is a heavy note to end on, but an important one. There's no way of knowing what would have happened to this woman had they not helped her. But they showed her love, a love that she had never known, and a love that she needed. And this is the love that Christ has given us. And it's our turn to be the love that the world can see him through.